Thank you for listening to the Bible preaching ministry of Dr. Tim Pollock at the Home Church of Lodi, California. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. Our prayer is that this message from God's Word will renew your heart and mind today.
an incredibly godly young couple. They start their family by following Scripture. And then we're going to see a wonderful older brother in the Lord, we assume, Simeon by name, one of God's favorites. God told him, amazingly, he didn't tell anybody else this, but he told him, you're not going to die until you have seen physically the Messiah. Amazing. And then the final witness we're going to talk about today is a dear saint of God, a lady who had been widowed. Her name is Anna, and she is an absolute amazing prayer warrior. And it just so happened she was walking through the courtyard of the temple when this confirmation took place, right at the right time, and she joins in a little praise party. It was amazing. All of them corroborating that, yes, this child is, in fact, Jesus, Jehovah saves, and he is the Messiah. And so uh, we have had a wonderful uh, time so far. We have seen an unquestionable record, an unbelievable reveal, an unequaled honor, an unmatched picture. Last week, an unparalleled truth, and this morning, an unbreakable confirmation. Christmas is truly a heartwarming time of the year. Next Sunday p.m., we have our cutest service of the year with our annual children's program. And we've learned at the Christmas program to always expect the unexpected, for sure. Speaking of plays, I read this week about a Christmas play, Three Little Small Boys. They were representing the three wise men, and they were to give their gifts to Jesus. First boy stepped forward, held out his gift in his hands, and said, Gold! The second boy stepped up, held out his gift, and said, Myrrh. The third boy walked forward, held out his gift, and boldly said, Frank sent this. <laughs> well, you got to love it, don't you? Well, we're looking forward to the rest of this season, and it's going to be awesome. Father, we come before you today. I'm so grateful. Lord, I feel such a joy in my soul. I just, uh, Lord, uh, can't even hardly contain it. Thank you. I'm so proud of everybody, Lord, thankful for your blessings. Lord, we don't take it for granted that you would fill up this place and win souls and use us for that. And so we're so grateful. Now this morning, Lord, I pray that you will take all of these verses, all of these thoughts, give us spiritual ears. And I pray, Lord, these saints, their minds won't wander. Uh, they'll stay focused for the next 45 minutes. And that, Lord, you'll meet with us. Because this is so important. And I know, Holy Spirit, you want us to get this. You wrote it, and so we will honor it. In Jesus' name, amen. There's a lot today, so I hope you're uh, focused. Don't wander, please. I want you to stay with me, okay? Stay in the game. If you're going to establish anything as truth, there must be corroborating testimony. That is certainly true with something as amazing as the fact that this little baby blob here is in fact the Messiah, the true Christ of God. And so God gives us three incontrovertible God-fearing examples. Confirmation number one, Joseph and Mary's acceptation. Confirmation number one, Joseph and Mary received 
and accepted God's word as being true. It's an interesting bookends this passage gives us. First, we have a very young Mary, probably 13 or 14. Joseph, likely 14 or 15. And then we have Anna at the other end of the spectrum, who is 84 or 104, however we want to figure that out. But the fact is, both God uses anybody and everybody who have a heart for him. Now, and by the way, let me just say, isn't it wonderful to see all these wonderful teenage, young adults serving God here at the home church? I looked up here and saw those fresh-faced young men without their pants hanging on the ground. I tell you what, it was wonderful. All those normal-looking young ladies, praise the Lord. Their passion for God inspires us, and thank you for that. So let's unpack these verses now. Let's read verse 21 of verse 2. I mean, it's chapter 2. In fact, why don't we read it together, please? Out loud. Luke chapter 2, verse 21. If you don't have your King James open or on the app there, just you can see the screens. And so let's read it together, would you? Out loud. Ready to begin. And when eight days were accomplished for the circumcising of the child, his name was called Jesus, which was so named of the angel before he was conceived in the womb. So this young couple uh, does what the Bible told them to do, and that is they take him to have him circumcised. Their journey began way back in Nazareth, and it has ascended now to Bethlehem, and now they are going to Jerusalem. And it says in the next verse, they're doing that according to the law. Five different times in these verses, God says that they did things, everybody did things according to the law. Throughout the Gospels, the Bible says that Jesus obeyed the law. He quoted scripture, he loved the Bible, he fulfilled the word of God. And we need to know that the Bible that Jesus held in his hand is the same Bible that we held in our hand in that it was the Old Testament. You should know that the same loving God who wrote the beautiful and amazing New Testament also wrote the Old Testament. More and more in this liberal leaning world, I hear misguided people almost weekly say something about how angry and how hateful or how unloving uh, the Old Testament is or the Old Testament God is. Well, I remind you, folks, the same God wrote the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Bible is actually one book. God didn't have a change of mind all of a sudden. He didn't turn over a new leaf and decide to be nicer. He didn't go woke in the New Testament. And in fact, if you'll be honest, those who think that, if they'll be honest and will read the New Testament for what it really says, it's pretty obvious God is no pacifist. He is a just and a holy God. So it's very important that we're clear that Jesus' parents, Joseph and Mary, were not erratic, religious, right-wing crazies. No, they were godly, scriptural, trustworthy, responsible, Old Testament loving people. And so when they said Jesus was the Messiah, 
That held some weight. These weren't just crazy people. This little Jewish baby boy was the Messiah. If he's the Messiah, then everything must be done scripturally. So in that particular dispensation, it meant that he had to be circumcised on the eighth day, not just circumcised as a physical thing, but there was a spiritual ceremony. Now, you may remember that we talked about this particular sign and that it was for three reasons. And this really applies to so many things in the Old Testament. There is a practical reason for this. That is, and it's a secondary reason, but it is a reason. That is for hygiene and for health. I read this week that researcher Henrik Dam and Edric Doisy shared the 1943 Nobel Prize in Medicine for their study on the coagulation and the clotting elements in blood and finding, surprisingly, that on the, the early child, on the eighth day, it's the highest. According to them, the human blood has two basic clotting elements, vitamin K, which is not formed until between the fifth and the seventh day. And then there is something called prothrombin, which surprisingly, which shouldn't surprise us, but it does, it peaks at 110%. Guess when it peaks on the eighth day of a child's life. And so there are physical reasons why to follow the law. Then there was a national reason, number two. The laws that God gave were a sign and a seal of a covenant made between God and Abraham, the father of the Jews, and when they followed it, it displayed that they were grateful to God and they were unashamed to be God's covenant people. Then there's a scriptural reason, and that is every law, whether it be moral, civil, or ceremonial, has a scriptural or a typical reason. And so circumcision certainly is a, has a scriptural reason, and that is it is a perfect picture of repentance. It is the cutting away of the old, and it is a new life. Spiritually speaking, then, Jesus' circumcision was his first suffering, his first taking of our place. It symbolized the work that the Savior did on the cross in dealing with our sin. Now, I'm going to dig just a little deeper, and I want you to please listen closely because I'm telling you, this is something you're going to deal with, especially the young people. You need to hear what I'm uh, going to say. We need to clarify how to apply Scripture correctly, the Old Testament laws, because there are so many today that accuse Bible-believing people, evangelical people, uh, for example, the wacko uh, LGBTQ crowd, they accuse us of cherry-picking and contradictions. But you see, God gave Moses these laws for a reason, and they encompass three specific areas, and if you don't understand those areas, then you might be confused by these people who don't know what they're talking about, but they'll sound like they do. First of all, God's laws were divided into, number one, moral laws. Moral laws. These are laws, commands that are holy, just, they're common sense, and they're unchanging. Their basic purpose is to, so that we'd respect God and that we would help others and bless others. And 
They promote the welfare of society. The time frame of the moral law is eternal. They're moral. In any generation, in any culture, in any era, they're always moral. It is the moral code of humanity. It always comes back to the Bible. Then there are ceremonial laws. Ceremonial laws were for Israel only. They were national laws. There were customs, sacrifices, feasts, festivals, dietary, clothing restrictions. With the overall purpose of keeping people different, unique, so that they'd always remember they're God's people and that they should stay separate from the world. Now listen closely. The time frame that they were in effect is temporary. They were from Mount Sinai to the cross, from Moses receiving the law to the time in Colossians 2 where it says Jesus nailed him to the cross. These laws are to the Jews and them only. Now you say, well, then they aren't for us. No, they're for us, but they were to the Jews. They are for us in that they're applicable. For example, it's only a ceremonial law that you can't put wool and linen in the same cloth. That's nothing immoral about that, obviously. It was a symbol. For them, it identified them as being part of God's people. But for us, it is applicable. For example, you can't put a Christian and a non-Christian in the fabric of marriage without there being a tearing. And that's why it's applicable to us. Now, sometimes you will find moral, ceremonial, and judicial in the same verse. That's why when they say, well, um, you know, yes, uh, homosexuality might be condemned in Leviticus, but so is eating pork and shellfish. And most Christians don't follow that. Well, that's not interpreting it correctly. Because that is a ceremonial law, whereas the other is clearly a moral law. Anybody knows that's not a ceremonial thing. That's moral. And so then there is a third part of the law, and that is judicial. It is civil. Everything from murder to restitution for a man gored by an ox. The time frame was from Mount Sinai forward. Now, where it ends, I'm not sure, actually. I would suggest it ends at the beginning of the millennium because God says that there's going to be a rule of uh, uh, iron at that time. Christ is going to come. But these uh, are wonderful uh, laws. We're not under the penalty of them, but we are under the principle of them. Now, with that all being said, let's look together at why Joseph and Mary and why the Holy Spirit wanted us to know that Mary went through the purification, they paid, and so forth. First of all, Joseph and Mary testified to Jesus as the Messiah in circumcision and naming. Now, Jesus is sinless. We are told in 2 Corinthians 5, he knew no sin. Well, then why would he need to be circumcised, which is a symbol of cutting away of sin? That's because Jesus did everything in his life to fulfill righteousness. And his mom and dad were Bible believers, so they did the same. By the way, that's exactly why Jesus got baptized. 
Even John the baptizer said, there's no reason you should be baptized. Jesus said, no. I'm, he went all the way down to the Jordan River, walked all the way down there, so he could be baptized in deep water. And he told John, he said, the reason I'm doing it, because it's the right thing to do. And you know, you need to be baptized in deep water, in the Jordan, as it were. You need to be baptized because it's the right thing. And there's no reason to wait. It's the right thing today. It's the right thing a month from now. So let's just take care of it. In fact, we're going to have the wonderful Christmas baptism. I think you ought to just do it because it's the right thing to do. That's what Jesus' parents did. That's why they had their child go through this rite of circumcision. Then they named him Jesus. That's what they did at that time at the circumcision. They named him Jesus. His name was Jesus because that's what the angel told him his name would be. Now, what does Jesus mean? It means Yahweh saves. Now, Yahweh is the same word as Jehovah, just without the vowels. And that's the way the Hebrews would typically say it. It is also the name Joshua. It is also the name Jesus. And so when you say Yahweh or you say Jehovah or you say Joshua or you say Jesus, it's all the same. It means God saves. By the way, just a note here, God saves. Mary is a wonderful woman, but Mary never saves anybody. Joseph doesn't marry any, save anybody. It is only God who saves. And so uh, he is God in the flesh. The second way that they uh, validated that he was the Messiah was in the purification and presenting. And so um, in verse 22, it says, When the days of her purification, according to the law, were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. And then in verse 23, As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male that openeth the womb shall be called holy. Two things had to happen according to ceremonial law. Remember, moral, ceremonial, judicial. Ceremonial law was to the Jewish people. It was for a symbol. Two things had to happen. First of all, a mother had to go through a purification ceremony. Second of all, if it was a firstborn child, he had to be given to the Lord, and there was a special offering that had to be given. Now, why did she need to be purified? Are you saying that giving birth is a sinful thing? No. We need to understand that being unclean, ceremonial, was not the same as being sinful. Now, there is a moral uncleanness. For example, Read Leviticus chapter 20. It talks about all these uh, immoral things that people do. There's an immoral uncleanness to that. But then there's a ceremonial uncleanness. They're impure in that uh, it is symbolically impure. For example, in the birthing process, there was, of course, lots of blood involved. We know that in Scripture, the Bible says blood, the, the life is in the blood. It is possible then that what God's trying to remind her us here is that this fresh this blood is precious and so there was a sense that we need to purify from this we need to validate how pure and how important and how sacred the blood is then uh, the there was a 40 day period of time for a male child double for a female child once that's passed then you could go through this rite of purification the woman would come in with her husband. The woman then would make this offering, 
And she would say, I am impure, I am a sinner, I have been away from the courts of the Lord for 40 days. And there's a lot of symbolisms here. Now remember, it's not sinfully impure, she's meaning ceremonially. And so they would come and they would have to give. Now, for the firstborn child, as I mentioned, they would have to pay a, a tax, as it were. And uh, it's uh, several shekels. It was actually quite costly for them. This was a young couple that wasn't destitute, but they weren't rich at all. And so they had been here in Bethlehem for a time, uh, a couple of months now, between all the traveling they've been doing. Haven't had time to work. They're in their early teens. They didn't have a lot of money. So when they gave this temple tax for the birth of Jesus, that was something very important to them. And they gave faithfully in good times and in bad times. By the way, I just want to say, I thank the Lord for the people of the home church. You are such faithful givers. 10% plus so many of you in good times and in bad. And so uh, they would come. Now, verse 24, they would offer a sacrifice. This purification ceremony, according to that which is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, they also could offer a lamb, but here it's just referring to the turtle doves and pigeons. Now, um, for the more folks who had a little bit more money, they could offer a lamb. The folks who had... Uh, and if they were at the right time, they could do turtle doves. But turtle doves were migrating birds, so they weren't all around. So pigeons are always here. And uh, we know around here, for sure, when we were building these buildings. But they could always get pigeons. And they would come. They would take these young pigeons symbolically. Now, remember, this is a sacrifice. And so uh, they are offering this as, in the sense, that Christ is our sacrifice. By the way, the fact that they're offering pigeons rather than a lamb uh, suggests that the wise men had not been to them yet. Because if the wise men had come in the timeline, uh, they would have had gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And so they would have been able to pay for the uh, lamb. But uh, they gave what they had, and um, they gave it willingly. And so Joseph and Mary came. They were Bible believers. They accepted everything the Bible said. They made sure that Jesus followed everything, the purification, the tax for their newborn child, firstborn child. And so they accepted the word of God. They validated his Messiahship through believing the word. Now, confirmation number two, not only Joseph's and Mary's acceptation, but now Simeon's expectation. Now, there's very little in the Bible known about Simeon other than the Old Testament Simeon or Simon. But here, God gives us this great story of this older brother. It's fascinating. Verse 25, And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. Now, most of Jerusalem, most of Israel, basically rejected the true God. I mean, they were in name only believers in God, but they didn't really have that living hope that the Messiah was coming. At the end of the Old Testament, the wonderful prophet Malachi had said about the Messiah that the Son of Righteousness would rise 
with healing in his wings. But that had been 400 years, 500 years earlier. After all these decades and centuries now, frankly, very little people were thinking about that promise. But there was one man who was, and his name was Simeon. This man loved the Old Testament scriptures. He loved the prophets. And it's intriguing and telling that his name was Simeon because it means God has heard. And I believe that this man was praying, God, I want to hear from you. And he told the Lord, I want to see the Messiah. And he got the opportunity to get that promise that God told him. Now notice it says here in uh, this uh, verse 25, behold, the second word of that verse in the King James it's sad that in every modern translation, they leave that out, even though it's clearly in the Greek manuscript. Sad, because actually what that means is, this is amazing. That word behold is saying, what's going to follow now is amazing. This guy was a unique work of God, and I hope you're looking at him. Now, why is he so unique? Well, first of all, he was decent and devout. Decent and devout. The same man was just and devout. Now, whenever God says a person is righteous or decent, good, upstanding, it means theologically that they have allowed the righteousness of Christ to be applied to their account. They've been saved. Practically, it means that their actions in the world are consistent with a holy God. And so he was devout and he was a godly man. The word devout actually means cautious. He was careful about the Bible that he followed it. He did what he was supposed to do. He was decent and devout. Second of all, he was watching and waiting. Look at verse 25. It says he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. He was waiting for the coming king that Jesus really would come. The word consolation refers to the Messiah because only the consoler can bring consolation. But notice what it says, he was waiting. The word waiting means looking with expectation. I ordered a golf club not too long ago. And uh, they said it was going to come on a certain day, the day I was going to go golfing. And they said it would come between 10 and 12 in the morning. So I was really excited. I was waiting for it. I could get it and I'd run to the golf course. But it never came. I had to go. And so I drove, and I happened to see the truck at another store. So I ran over there, and I went up there, and I said, um, hello, I, I'm Tim Pollock. And he grinned. He said, you want your club, don't you? And uh, he said something about being addicted to golf, but uh, he also comes by the church here, so uh, he knows me. But I was waiting, and I was expecting, and that's what Simeon was doing. First of all, he was decent and devout. Second of all, he was watching and waiting. Third, he was anointed and announcing. Look what it says at the end of verse 25, the Holy Ghost was upon him. That doesn't mean that the Holy Ghost wasn't on other people. It just means that his anointing was on him for a special responsibility. He was about ready to announce something divine. You know, the Holy Spirit's picky, really, who he anoints and who he gives blessings to. He did to Zacharias. He did to Elizabeth. The Holy Spirit's a gentleman. He doesn't force his way on anybody. He 
wants to be loved. He wants to be received and asked. Now, what did Simeon do when the Holy Spirit came upon him? Verse 26, it says he was revealed to him that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. The word Christ is just the Greek word for Messiah, the Hebrew word for Messiah. Apparently, he had been waiting from God. In other words, it says it was revealed unto him. That word is oracle in the Greek. He had been given a special oracle that he was going to see Jesus, and then he could rest in peace. By the way, I don't suggest looking forward to death if you haven't seen Jesus. Verse 27, then he came by the Spirit into the temple. Now, what prompted Simeon to go to the temple that day? Who knows? The Bible says the Holy Spirit just came. He came by the Spirit. Now, maybe God just audibly said something in a still small voice. Maybe just the circumstances of the day led him there. Or maybe he just felt this deep impression. Perhaps you've felt like that before. Where God just seemed to tell you to do something. And later you realize, boy, that was a Holy Spirit moment. Well, this is that. This was one of those Holy Spirit moments. It was 40 days after the birth of Christ. He's prompted by the Holy Spirit to go to the temple. This is Herod's temple. They can't go, of course, into the holy place, but they can go into the courtyard. Sometimes called the courtyard of the women. Uh, Joseph was there. Mary was there. Likely there were hundreds of women there with babies because this was a time for purification and for uh, this temple um, sacrifice that they were doing. So there was very likely lots of people milling around. Now, Joseph and Mary had no clue who Simeon was. They just were there. So they're there. They're a young couple. They're holding their baby. They're in the temple courtyard. They're walking around. There's hundreds of people there. There's smoke. I mean, there's the sounds and there's... Uh, and Simeon walks up. He's walking around. And all of a sudden... Simeon doesn't know them from anybody. How do they connect? Well, for us, we're like, how is Simeon going to actually see? I mean, it's hard to find somebody in a crowd at all. But he, God just put spotlight on that young couple. And maybe Jesus hollered out loud, hey, I don't know what he did. But whatever the case was, it was a chance meeting. Uh, no, not chance. But it ended up changing both of their lives. All it says is they met easy peasy to the Lord for sure. And then like any papa, like any older man, verse 28, he saw that baby. There was no halo over his head. There was no glowing about the couple, but there was a Holy Spirit moment. He takes the baby up in his arms. He blesses God. He scooped up that little baby. Mom and dad were all going, whoa, who is this guy? But he, they, he must have not been threatening. Can you imagine him taking that baby in his arms, pressing him to his chest? Perhaps he leaned down and kissed him, like the Christmas song says, kissing the face of God. But can you imagine the thrill that filled his soul? That for all these years, he had been praying, I'm going to see the Messiah. I'm going to see the Messiah before I die. And now, the Holy Spirit says, it's time, Simeon. Now's the moment, Simeon. He grabs that little baby. He grabs the Messiah. 
You know, it's interesting how people misunderstand religion and faith. So many people have the idea that faith is, you know, something Christians put together so that we can, you know, come up to God. The fact of the matter is God came down to us. We didn't come up to Him. And it says that He blessed God. He took this baby in His hand and blessed God. And did you know that every morning God gives you a blessing? He puts the Messiah in your hands. What are you going to do with the Messiah that He's given you? I hope that you'll stop every day and say, Lord, I bless you for letting me be part of this great journey. Now, verse 29, Lord, now he prays, let thou thy servant depart in peace. Lord, the word is despot, sovereign master, let your slave die. Here's this man, this older brother, who now he says, I can die in peace. I can die in peace. Praise God. He asks even for death. By the way, asking for death when you've seen the Messiah uh, is not a bad thing. God leaves us here for the journey. and We'll carry on. But I would say that for you, if you're lost, I wouldn't want death to come. Dwight Moody, pastor, evangelist, said when he died, I see earth receding. Heaven is opening. God is calling me. Contrary to that, Queen Elizabeth of England, sometimes the first known as the Virgin Queen, when she died, 2,000 costly dresses in her wardrobe. And yet, just before her death, she said, all my possessions for one moment of time. She wasn't at peace when she died. Verse 30, now Simeon says, mine eyes have seen salvation. And that's what happens when you see Jesus. You see true salvation with the eyes of faith. He saw past the fact that this was just a little baby in the arms. This was salvation to all people. And you know, sometimes you have to have the eyes of faith to really see past everything in this world and really see Jesus. Verse 31, he has been prepared before the face of all people. Salvation is ready, are you? Jew and Gentile, salvation is from God to humanity. And he has come to this world. Verse 32, he's a light to lighten the Gentiles, the glory of all the people of Israel. The prophet Isaiah had said that the light would come. And this world still, for the most part, sits in darkness. The things that come out of Washington so often are dark. The things that are given to us are dark. Academia gives us darkness, but Jesus gives light. And he takes away the dark clouds, and that's what Simeon said. Jesus will be the only hope in a world. Verse 33, Joseph and Mary marvel at those things which were spoken. They already knew their son was special, but bit by bit they were getting the full picture, and this was amazing. And their hearts were just overflowed to know that in their hands, they were given the responsibility of raising a Messiah. By the way, every person that God gives a child, you have the responsibility to raise that child like he were the Messiah or she were the Messiah of the world. Verse 34, Simon blessed them. He blessed them, and we ought to bless others instead of being so critical. 
We ought to bless others and said unto Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set. Now he focuses on Mary. He turns from Joseph and he looks Mary square in the eye. So here's this older, wonderful brother focusing on Mary. And he says, Now, Mary, I need to talk to you. Behold. Now remember, that word is a signboard. He's saying, This child is set for the fall of our nation. What? I thought he was set for the, for, the, for the good of our nation. No. He is set for the fall. Many people are going to stumble over the righteousness and the godliness and the holiness of this child. He is set for the fall of this nation. And bless God, he is also set for the rising again of a nation. And he will be a sign which will be spoken against. And my friend, for the last 2,000 years, people have been speaking against Jesus. And they're still speaking against him now. And there are crazies up and down our country rioting and speaking against God's Israel. And then Brother Simeon gets very personal. He says, now, my dear young sister, I need to tell you. By the way, the reason he focuses on Mary rather than Joseph is because it's pretty obvious Joseph isn't going to be around very long. From the time of Jesus' uh, time in the temple at when he was 12, we never hear of Joseph again. That's when he said, I must be about my father's business, my true father's business. We never hear of Joseph again. He wasn't there uh, at his preaching. He wasn't there in any of his miracles. He wasn't there at the cross. That's why uh, Jesus had to say to John, John, take care of mom. Mom, he's going to take care of you. Joseph wasn't there. She became a widow later on in life. And he, uh, her heart was broken. And of course, what was going to happen here, verse 35, a sword shall pierce thy own soul also. Jesus' soul was pierced through with a sword. It was the sword of our sin. But it wasn't just him. It was Mary, who there and saw her son on the cross going through all that she went through. And if that wasn't enough, it is going to be a revealing of the wicked, filthy hearts of this world. You need to know that your son is come to be a divider. People always say, oh, I just want to go to a church where there's no, where there's no controversy and all this political stuff. Folks, Jesus came to bring righteousness, and people who don't want righteousness aren't going to like that. Well, uh, he is set for, he is determined. He is going to be assigned. By the way, that word means target. Jesus certainly has been a target for the uh, lost of this world. And finally, confirmation number three, Anna's proclamation. The last human witness, we need at least two witnesses. We get a third confirming that this child is, in fact, the Messiah. Verse 36, and there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel, the tribe of Asher. Asher. She was of a great age, a very nice way of saying it, and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. We hear later on it says 84 years. Some think that she's 84 years old and has been a widow for 
60 plus years. Some think that means that she uh, has been widowed for 84. And so, and she lived with her husband for seven. She probably got married at 13. So she's 104. Well, whatever the case is, this is a dear senior lady. Isn't it interesting how that worship knows no age limits? Whether you're 13 or 14 or a 84 or 104, you can be used by God. Her name, Anna, is the same as the Old Testament name, Hannah. It means grace, and she definitely was an amazing woman of grace. It says in verse 37, she was, 30, she was a, a fourscore years, had departed not from the temple. This lady loved the temple. Some think that she may even live there because they had apartments there for itinerant priests. Others think that she just was there so much that they basically said she departed not from the temple. But the fact of the matter is she served God. How did she serve God? I just want to serve God. Well, you know, one of the best ways we can serve God is through fasting and prayer. But she just didn't do it for a few minutes. It was night and day. Fasting, which means voluntarily giving up food to just focus on the Lord. It doesn't mean just not eating. It means I'm so focused on my prayer time that food doesn't really mean a lot. And so there she was. She was the kind of a lady that didn't miss church. Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, whatever, every kind of a meeting. I mean, you went there, she was there, and she was praying. And she knew the mind of God. She was close to God. She apparently, like Simeon, loved the Word because it says she was a prophetess. That just means a speaker of the Word. I mean, she spoke about God to everybody, and no matter who it was, she spoke about the Lord. Young, old, male, female, she just spoke about the Lord. Well, it says in verse 38, she comes up to this group. So Simeon's there. He's got the baby in his hands. Joseph and Mary are there. And now Anna joins them. Now, who knows why? God just somehow must have spoke to her. Go on over there. They're having a little praise time. And, of course, I mean, if Simeon is, you know, speaking out, but, of course, he's just been talking to Mary. And then, uh, or maybe... She was such a fixture at the temple, maybe Simeon knew her and said, Anna, come over here. Yeah, come here. See, this is the Messiah. I don't know. But note what it says, verse 38. She coming in that instant, she knew, boy, I'm not wasting any time. Likewise, she gave thanks. She didn't waste any time. I'm here to give thanks to God. And then she spake to all them who looked for redemption. She came, she thanked, and then she spoke. Let me give you quickly three little things for our outline here. Her testimony was clear. She was fervent, dedicated to God, practically living in the temple. She was a sold-out Christian. She was faithful. She took God at His Word. She was a prayer warrior. She loved the Word of God, and she hungered for the presence of God, and she shared. And finally, she was filled, filled with the Holy Spirit. In fact, so much so that she went everywhere telling about the Messiah. She was believing. We ought to keep believing. I closed with one of my favorite stories of World War II, Early in World War II, the Japanese army stormed the Philippines. 
and forced United States General Douglas MacArthur to leave the islands. Upon leaving the Philippines, General MacArthur declared this promise, I shall return. And several years later, he did just that. Walking ashore at Leyte, he announced to the Philippine people, this is the voice of freedom. General MacArthur speaking, people of the Philippines, I have returned. By the grace of Almighty God, our forces stand again on Philippine soil. The hour of your redemption is here. Rally to me. And here's what I would like to suggest this morning, that our leader, the captain of our host, the Lord Jesus Christ, the true Messiah, has declared, I will come again. And you can guarantee he is coming. He came the first time. And he is coming again, and our redemption will be with him. Our heads are bowed. We hope you enjoyed listening to the preaching and teaching from God's Word today. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. From all of us here at The Home Church in Lodi, California, thank you for joining us.